This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. With me is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we welcome you now to its week. It's our second week of All Things New. It's actually week three, if you're keeping score, as far as the church messages go. But we welcome you to another week in the series, All Things New, where we are comparing the uh, book of Ecclesiastes and the writings of Solomon there uh, to the letter to the Philippians and Paul's writings there. And as uh, Sam noted last week, the uh, book of Ecclesiastes does read a bit like a suicide note. Um, it's <laughs> well, it does kind, kind of hardcore stuff <laughs> till you get to the end. Till you get to the end, um, and then uh, and then Philippians. On the, by contrast, I would say, and actually did say this in our study notes for this week. If you get our personal worship study notes from Rio, um, I think it's one of the most cheerful books in the Bible. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very upbeat. Everything in there is is positive and upbeat and and looking for. It's a very forward looking book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hey, has every time I've ever thought of the book of Philippians, the word that comes to mind is always joy, joy and rejoicing. Because you you find that word that theme running throughout Philippians, and it's it's a really wonderful book. And and the irony is, is Paul's time in Philippians was was not. It was not a joyful experience, or it shouldn't have been. Right. Uh, but even in imprisoning and beating and everything else, he's rejoicing in the midst of that. And he was, it's, I mean, he wasn't in Philippi for very long, was he? No, yeah. no. It was a fairly now, he short had been thing. called through Macedonia, and so when he goes where he'll write to the Thessalonians and Thessalonica, he goes through there, he goes through Philippi, which was would have been a military outpost, so lots of military presence there. And he, when Paul goes into Philippi, I mean, you know the story, he, he gets arrested for, for preaching, he's thrown in jail, he's beaten, and during that night, he's up all night, and he's praising God, and he's singing, <laughs> singing and celebrating who God is, even from prison, and at that point, an earthquake comes and breaks open the, the, the prison, and he comes out, and a guard is, is wanting to kill himself because he knows that the failure to keep your prisoners is the death penalty, and Paul actually stays put and says, no, 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 shares the gospel with this guy, who then is baptized along with his whole family, and Paul uses that moment uh, to evangelize, which is really wonderful. But in the midst of the suffering, even when Paul was in Philippi, not just writing to them, the theme is joy, joy mm-hmm. in the midst of suffering. It's really cool. Um, the book of Philippians is also one that is responsible for, I think, as many refrigerator magnets as <laughs> any other book in the New Testament. Uh, yes. You know, I can do all things through Christ, you know. Uh, yes. I, I can I've, tell you, <laughs> having been a headmaster, having been in schools, every yearbook when students give their life verse, it's like, let's see, Alex, Philippians 4.13. Damon, <laughs> Philippians 4.13. Rebecca, Philippians four thirteen. It's it's that's that's a very common one. That's definitely refrigerator magnet number one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that is that it's not when it says that I can do all things through Christ. He's talking about a very specific list of things there. Correct. 
He's yeah, not we're, saying we're not talking about flying or <laughs> right. He's not, you know, or he's not even saying like if 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 you're like I can cook this meatloaf through the power of Christ. No, that's not what he's saying. You know, <laughs> there's cooking meatloaf. There's deep theology for you, man. I'm all about the deep theological stuff. When we're talking about life verses, Philippians really is. I mean, it's a it deserves lots of life verses. It is a rich, rich book filled with awesome, awesome passages. It is indeed. And so that brings us to our passage in the book of Ecclesiastes this week. And we're looking at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. And uh, this week, really the whole premise of this series each time has been that we're in pursuit of something. Mm -hmm. Solomon writes about the things that we pursue from the position of there's nothing above the sun. Everything is under the sun, meaning there is no God. And and in that case, the pursuit of these things are all vanity because they stop at the grave. The grave, mm-hmm. as you have said, Sam, robs us of everything, mm-hmm. if that's all that there is. Um, and so each week, we kind of ask ourselves the question, what are we pursuing this week? And this week, we're talking about the idea of pleasure. So it's uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where Solomon says, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. That is about as... (laughs) Yeah, gosh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is you it's like okay Buzz so kill. yeah your your days are few so you might as well yuck it up while you're here people and have a drink because your days are few um but I, you know i was struck sam by this in that when you think about the kinds of things that uh that solomon writes that are are empty um mm-hmm. there are things that in some cases there are things that are their behaviors that should be avoided um but in this case I kind of got the feeling that he was really just saying, look, I'm just talking about being here for the party, laughing, having mm-hmm. a good time. The word pleasure is actually, the, the word actually means mirth or laughter. Mm-hmm. And and he's just talking about, he's not talking about being falling down drunk. He's not talking about, you know, pleasures of the flesh that are extreme in some way. What he's saying here is just if you're if you're somebody that everything's funny and everything's a party and you're just not taking anything seriously, well, that's all you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know when he, when he's talking about you know I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, and then he concludes this too is vanity. One of the things that I think is really fascinating in the way that the Bible presents um, wisdom and despair and hope and all of these kinds of things is what Solomon will conclude in the book of Ecclesiastes is even pleasure is a source of pain. Because what he finds is, is it doesn't satisfy. Mm. You know, it's here for a moment. It's it's good. You know, you want to laugh. You want to be light. You want to have a good time. You know, everyone should do that. We're not a, we're not a sad people. We shouldn't be a sad pe- people. But where Solomon goes with this, and this is really fascinating, especially when you put Solomon up against a Job. Job is somebody who's experiencing suffering because everything has been taken away from him, right? Right. He knows he knows the loss of all things. He knows the loss of children and industry and laughter and health. He knows the loss of all those things. Respect and everything. Respect, right. yeah, yeah, all those things. And he wrestles with God through the whole thing, right? 
And Job will end up in a better place than the preacher of Ecclesiastes ends up. And so what, what the scriptures are telling you t- in this is there's a, there's, a, there's a despair, there's a suffering that's even worse than Job. Because, I mean, if you ask yourself this question, would you rather be somebody who is in the midst of a painful season, but you're clinging on to hope that something better might be around the corner, that God is going to give some answer, and you're wrestling with him to get it? Or would you rather be the person who has tried and achieved every single thing that you ever thought might satisfy your heart, and you're out of options, and none of them have worked, and you're empty, and there's nowhere to go. <laughs> and and that is where Ecclesiastes is taking you. He's saying, okay, which, suffer, which suffering is going to be worse? Because if everything under the sun, this is all there is, there's nothing beyond the sun, there's no God, there's no hope, there's no afterlife, there's no appeal to something greater, and this is all there is, then it's all empty, and your suffering is... That's it. Period. Yeah. End of story. And it will ne- you'll never be satisfied. And so, like, we know this. Pleasure's nice for a moment. We like it. It's great. But the moment it's done, what are you, what are you doing? Looking for I, the next one, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. I need something more. I need something more. I need something more. Because every time you grab it, you know, like we talked about last week, that word for vanity, hevel, every time you grab it, it's smoke. And there's, you open your hand and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. You know, we t- last week, of course, we talked about the subject of money and wealth, and I think that I think that there's times when people hear us talking about money uh, and they think, "Well, I don't have to pay attention to that because <laughs> right. I don't have any, and there's none coming in the door." And so, I'm clearly not somebody that struggles with loving money because I'd have to have some in order to love it. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I, I get that, I really do. Mm-hmm. But this week, where he's talking about pleasure and laughter and mirth and cheering himself with wine. Um, you know, not to an excessive level, but just cheering himself. I mean, just having a drink and lightening up. Um, that's the kind of thing that more people can identify with because when I was growing up, there was a phrase, and I don't even know if it's said anymore, but um, we always talked about living for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was it, man. You you lived for the weekend. If you were going to school or if you were working or whatever, it was all about making it to Friday because, you know, starting Friday night until sometime mid-Sunday afternoon, it was all about the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's, a, you know, a sense in which people, it's a universal thing that people want to be able to laugh and have a good time. And there's, and, and I just want to be clear about this. There's nothing at all that's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I would even say that it's good. But if you, if that's all that you have, if that's your perspective that this is what life is, then Solomon's message is you, to you is, hey, that's good for you to do during the few days of your life. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's, what, that's what he's going to tell you is that, okay, you found something to do to amuse yourself for the week and a half that you're going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think that, that laughter is a bad thing or alcohol is a bad thing, but I do think that, that loving them for their own sake and having those be the thing that you're, that's what you're pursuing um, I think that that is a place where sin can creep in and, you know, and things can, and that's that you're willing to do whatever it takes for that next experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, great trouble can find us. There's one line at the, at the beginning of verse two, where Solomon says something and 
it, it hits our ears as wrong, but but here you have the preacher who says, I said of laughter, it is mad. And you stop for a moment and go, why Why is he so down on, on laughter? Like, that's one of my favorite things in the world. I love laughing. I love people who can and make can make me laugh. But all throughout Ecclesiastes, you have the preacher who's constantly saying uh, that laughter is just bad. You know, if if there's nothing beyond the sun, that laughter is bad. So, like in, in Ecclesiastes seven, he really goes after laughter. He doesn't just say it's mad. He says sorrow is better than laughter. Um, and and one of the things that comes out of this, at the Hebrew word for laughter is Yitzhak, which is where we get the name Isaac from. It's the same. It means laughter. Mm -hmm. And half of the time that the word is used in the Old Testament, it means laughter. The other half of the time means derision. It's it's like being laughed at or something. And the idea behind that word is triumph. It's like this celebratory release, you know, you're triumphant. When Sarah names Isaac, Isaac, it's because there's a triumph there. There's a joyful laughing that goes on. And so in Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon will come and say, sorrow is better than laughter. And and I want to, to clarify what he's saying there. This is not a, you know, it's better to go around and mope all the time <laughs> than, than to be somebody who has a sense of humor. That's not at all what it's saying. Uh, if I take my son, Nathan, who just turned three into the pool, and he's you know wearing his floaties, he's learning how to swim right now, but he's wearing his floaties, and I take him, and every time I'm, I take him and I, I launch him way up into the air, and he goes down into the deep end of the pool, and he sinks beneath the surface of the water for a split second, and he comes up with the biggest smile, and he's mm. giggling, and he's begging to do it again, and it only took one time for Nathan to come into the pool of the gate when my daughter Leah was ho- holding it open, and he fell into the pool and sank. And when I pulled him up, and he was totally panicked. Now, when he's wearing his floaties and I want to throw him, no. <laughs> you know, there's a panic and a mourning. There's a sadness. There's a, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Why? Because life has trained him. Oh, it's not all roses. Yeah. This this is not going to end in laughter. Yeah. And so you're better off to push it away. And and as we grow from kids to adults, we learn this world's hard. This world is going to push back. And you know, walking around with this optimistic laughter, don't do it. It's mad. Yeah. You're not going to win. You yeah. know that you're going to be defeated if there's nothing outside of this world. That's what Solomon is saying. He's looking at where everything is headed. And it's a guarantee if there is no God, everything is headed for defeat. It's all going over the edge of the cliff. And so you're better off just bracing yourself to mourn because it's guaranteed to come. You're better off in sorrow than you are in laughter because your your hopes will only be continuously dashed in a broken world. Mm. And so as Christians on the other side of that, where you know that cliff is done away with, where the grave doesn't have the final word, where even sorrows and hardships do not destroy us. In fact, they make us more into the image of Christ. They they produce things in us that are even more beautiful. Christians, really, and, and the terms that Solomon is talking about is this Yitzhak, this triumphant laughter. Mm-hmm. We should be the people who laugh the most 
you know, we have a future that's secure. There's no bad news, really. And this is something you know <laughs> that I struggle with. There is no bad news that's final. We yeah. have absolute hope for optimistic joy, and we should be laughing. Mm. Hmm. That's really true, because if you if you know what your future is and you know that the future is a box in the ground and there's nothing else, then you know what? Nothing's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, That's true. There is nothing funny about living another day when it doesn't matter. And Paul kind of gets at that, too, in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about if the dead aren't raised, then we are of all men to be most pitied. But then he goes on to say, of course, you know, Jesus did come back from the dead and mm-hmm. we will come back from the dead also. Um, but that's his kind of thing. It's like, look, if, if, if we're not, uh, you know, if there's nothing for us on the other side of the grave, then we may as well eat and drink because that's it. This is it, you know? And I think that's, that's also what Solomon is after. One of the, one of my favorite quotes from, from Tolstoy, um, who at his time was, you know, the most famous author in the world. He was getting more mail than any other author in the world was, you know, super, super wealthy, had lots of stuff. And then one day he came across that question, of does any of this matter? Um, and he says, that question, this is his quote, that question brought me to the edge of the abyss. <laughs> what will come of what I do today and tomorrow? What would come of my entire life? I couldn't attach a rational meaning to a single act in my entire life. The only thing that amazed me was how I failed to realize this in the very beginning. All this had been common knowledge for so long. And then he goes and gets into kind of what we're talking about today. He says, sickness and death will come to everyone, to me, and nothing will remain except stench and worms. My deeds will be forgotten sooner or later, and I myself will be no more. Why then do anything? How can anyone live and fail to see this? That's what's amazing. And then he closes with this line, which is so profound. He says, it's possible to live only as long as life intoxicates us. Once we are sober, we cannot help seeing that it's all a delusion, a stupid delusion. Hmm. What Tolstoy is saying is very much the same thing that the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, and we all know that this is true. He's saying, you know, it's only, we can only keep going so long as we see something as our mission. We're going to get this, we're going to get money, we're going to get pleasure, we're going to get laughter, wine, whatever, you know, something that we can possibly intoxicate our minds with. You know, then we're okay. But the moment we stop and think, what's it all for? When we're sober from chasing after that stuff, then we realize that it's all a delusion. It's all smoke. We can't hold it. And it's at that point that it's like, you know, Tolstoy is saying, I'm not laughing anymore. This isn't funny. Um, This is not funny at all. Mm -hmm. Like, my life is essentially a delusion without God. Solomon is at no time saying that any of these things that we're talking about today in particular are bad. Mm-hmm. He says they're vanity, they're hevel, they're futile, they're smoke. They, they're, they are something that you think you hold in your hand and, and that it's worth something, but when you open up your grip, there's nothing there. The smoke is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what he's getting at, is that it's meaningless, it's vanity, it's, there's no purpose in it because the grave in the, it, grave in the end will rob you of it. Tolstoy, yeah. when, when he writes his books, when, he's, when he, he writes these things that are wonderful treatises on, on justice, he, I mean, he's done some good things for humanity, and he looks at it and says, and it's yeah. all going to fail. Yeah. Death is going to swallow it up. It's all going to turn into stench and worms. 
Now, Solomon doesn't stop at just the pleasure of laughter and the pleasure of, of having a glass of wine. He moves on to talk about his achievements, where he says uh, in verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of, or, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Hmm. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If anything, to me, that's kind of even a sadder statement from Solomon because when he says, hey, you know what? Laughter is empty. You know, uh, pleasure is empty. We can kind of agree with that. We can say, hey, you know what? The next day it's gone. I have to go looking for more pleasure. That pleasure doesn't last. But here Solomon is talking about his renown as a leader, as a king, the things that he was able to achieve, expanding the kingdom, making it safe, making it rich, building the house of God, all these achievements that Solomon had while he was king over Israel. And what he's coming to the realization of as he, at the end of that is that the reward for what he had done was simply in the doing of it. It's like there's nothing permanent about it. I'm looking mm -hmm. at this and I'm saying that, yep, my heart found pleasure in my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. That's it. He's, what he's saying essentially is my life amounts to a zero sum. I've done all these things and at the end of it all, it comes up to exactly zero. Mm -hmm. I didn't lose, I didn't gain. It's all just brought back to this, you know, it's all brought back to zero. It's very sad. Um, the idea that you could be great at what you do, that you could be hugely influential. And yet Solomon again is saying, but if this is all you have, then congratulations, that's all you get. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, it's important to remind everybody because we, <laughs> we can hear that and go, oh, you know, it's really, that's really heavy. But Sol this preacher is giving us an illustration. He's making this argument again that this is what you have to conclude if there's nothing beyond us, that there's nothing above the sun, beyond the sun. Right. Uh, so, so life without God. And you know, we all have that that feeling like when you get a project at work, or when you think, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna build a new closet in in my house, or whatever the case might be. You get excited. There's this rush of excitement when you put together the plans and you start doing it, and then you you build it and you look at it and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then you know, then it just becomes another thing in the house. And th the only payoff was really the the joy that you had in building mm -hmm. and and coming up with that plan and Solomon is saying every single thing that you do all the stuff you build all the industry the job you have the house you you know keep up the lawn you mow whatever the case might be the only good that it does is 
in that moment because it does not yield any lasting benefit. It doesn't. And so so the only way, you know, when you take this and you apply the gospel to it, um, now all of a sudden, if you're doing things to build the kingdom of God, if you're, if you're using your industry or the money that you get from the industry to care for people and to point them to the Lord, now all of a sudden that has eternal implications. Um, but, but I think one of the, one of the themes, and we've, we've talked about this before, not on, on mics, but one of the themes that's interesting, and you find a theme that runs throughout the Bible, is you have Solomon here who's talking about how he builds houses and plants vineyards and makes gardens, and he, it sounds paradisical. Like, it, it, this sounds like a place that if you walked into it would almost be kind of like Narnia when everything comes yeah. to life, just really beautiful Like you were amazing. back in the Garden of Eden, you know? That's right. Like he, he's trying to rebuild the garden, and what you find is that a garden without God is no paradise. Mm. Um, you can never return to the garden. You can never return to paradise without God. Um, and part of the reason for that is, you know, your identity. I mean, you think about what Sol- this, the preacher here, Solomon, is arguing. He's like, you know, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I, I wanted to feel fulfilled. I wanted to feel meaning. I wanted to feel to feel purpose. And then he gets done, and he's looking at everything that he's poured his heart into, and he's going, those gardens are going to be overrun with weeds. Those vineyards, they're all going to die. This house is going to decompose. All the forests that I planted, they're going to be overrun. All the people, all the businesses, everything's going to die. And so this is the great takeaway of the gospel, right? This is what changes you when you put your trust in Christ. If I'm chasing after all these things that that Ecclesiastes is talking about, then my meaning is only significant as long as they exist, right? I I find my meaning in this garden that I've planted that's so beautiful, but then it's going to go away. So what happens to my meaning? It goes away. I'm going to put it in this business over here. And what's going to happen? It's going to either crumble or the economy turns, or when I die, it's going to all perish. And then where does my meaning go? Well, it goes with it. There's only one place that you can put your meaning, your identity, and your worth that will never perish. Mm. It is the one eternal being that will never, ever, 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 ever decompose or deteriorate or fall away. It's the Lord. Mm. And so when you find your purpose and your significance in Him, now you don't have to go through life going, oh my goodness, I've got to maintain it all. I've got to keep the garden up. I've got to keep the vineyard up. And I've got to keep the business up and my marriage up and this up and that up. Because all those things define who I am and how valuable I am. It'll be slavery. And at the end of the day, guess what? They're guaranteed to fail. Your, which, by the way, means your meaning and your value fails with them. Mm. But if you put your value, your meaning, and your hope in the Lord, you're guaranteed that will never be taken away from you. And by the way, he's infinite. And he's like we talked about earlier, he sings over you. You're, you're not just a, a petty object that belongs to him. You're his treasure, his, pri- his pride, his, his prize, his masterpiece. You're, you're so incredibly valued. But guess what that does? It frees you up. Because if my life is not you know, measured by whether or not the garden succeeds or the vineyard succeeds and all that stuff, 
my my value and my identities in Christ, now I'm freed up to garden for the joy of gardening. Mm. It's not giving me my value anymore. It's giving me joy, yeah. right? And and that is the brilliance of of a life in the gospel. You're you're not defined by all these things that Solomon is listing out. You know, it's like you know if Solomon came up to you and said, you know, let me show you my resume. I've got houses and vineyards and this and that and the other and da 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 da. You'd be like, okay, well that's nice. You must have been wealthy. You must have been powerful. I have the eternal undying affection of the creator of the universe who went to a cross and died for me. How's your resume compare to that, Solomon? Mm-hmm. It, you can't, it doesn't stack up. We have a prize far greater and absolutely cannot be taken away from us way more than what this uh, preacher in Ecclesiastes is offering. So can we run to Philippians now? Let's do it. I love Philippians. <laughs> because the passage from Philippians is just three verses, but it's a lot. To, it's, it's, it's like a drink of water. I come out of this passage in Ecclesiastes, and I feel like my throat is parched. <laughs> I'm dry. I'm like, you're right, Solomon. There's no point. I can't go on. And then you come into Philippians. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then that is the Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for some reason, we tacked in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. But it, but really, to me, the point of this is that Paul found contentment through Christ that was irrespective of his circumstances. I mean, that's to me, that's the message right there. The thing that he can, the thing that he can do through Christ who strengthens him, the all things, is he can find contentment in mm-hmm. any situation. That's right. And that is, you know, that's amazingly powerful for one thing. The opposite of despair, which is kind of where I think we left Solomon. He was despairing. The opposite of despair isn't triumph or happiness. In, as we're looking at it, it's to be content. Mm-hmm. God's saying yeah. that's the best thing for you is to be content. And, and Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And so you know, what the gospel does for you whether you're in a season, a dry season of suffering, or whether you're in a season where he's just blessing your socks off, you know, you you come with the same gospel and it centers you on something other than your circumstances. So that in the low seasons, you don't walk around feeling like a failure, like you're worthless, like life has no meaning. And when you're abounding, you're kept from pride because guess what? this isn't from you, you know, ultimately you owe all of this. You owe gratitude to God for all of it. Mm-hmm. It's him that's given you your talent. It's him that's given you the time to make all this stuff happen. And so in either case, it keeps you from being pushed through the floor, but it also keeps your head from growing so big that you think you don't need him anymore. And so, you know, Paul's saying, and regardless, he is the greater treasure in both of those seasons. So if I have nothing else, Christ is enough. But Paul will also say elsewhere in this letter that I've walked away from all the riches and all the best of things, and I consider them sewage 
in order to gain Christ. So regardless, if I'm abounding, Jesus is still my great treasure. And if I'm walking through a season where everything's been taken from me, guess what? I have the greatest treasure of any human being on the planet, mm. you know, that God who loves me. And so you learn this contentment, right, mm-hmm. that to, to walk through every season um, with enough because God is enough. You know, when we say that statement, God is enough, you're going to have people out there that react skeptically, negatively mm-hmm. to that as sure. well. They're like, oh, you Christians are always saying that Jesus is enough. Jesus isn't going to pay my rent, that kind of thing. Well, first of all, Jesus might. You don't know. Um, <laughs> he might. The, you yeah. know, God has done some remarkable things in the lives of his people and, and pr- in providing for them in, in mm-hmm. physical ways. But I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. I'm not going to uh, sit here and say that, uh, you know, if you, if you believe in Jesus, he's going to pay your rent. That's not, that's not a promise. You know? Unless you send $50 no, to Mark no, Latt no, Schlager. No, no, no. Not listen to Pastor Sam. He's having a moment here. He's a, the vapors are taking him away. But um, so you know, I'm not making that. I'm not making that kind of a, of a statement. But I do know that there's people that that feel like the statement that God is enough is, you know, is to some extent it's an empty promise. And the way I would answer that, I mean, if 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 somebody says to me, "Oh, you're always saying that God is enough. That's an empty promise. So, you know, that's that's just that's silly. That doesn't take care of my needs." I'm like, again. That's because what you're looking at, you're looking at this life, this world, and saying that, well, God is not enough for me here. And, you know, and he really is, but but maybe not in any way that would be measurable by some human standard, because the fact is that there are some of us for whom God doesn't take away that sickness, or God doesn't take away that circumstance that leads us to not have any money or it, it rains on the just and the unjust. You know, those of us that are believers have problems just like everybody else in this world. But the mm-hmm. difference is that as we look to our future and we looked to the end of our, our time here, we don't see that as the end of everything or as the end of us. We see that as an opportunity for us to be reunited with the one who loved us enough to surrender all of his rights, all of his freedom, all of his comfort to come and live among us and be, you know, and be killed for something he didn't do so that he could reconcile us to himself and yeah. bring us safely home. And I love that. And one of the things when, when so if a skeptic, so if, I, if I'm putting on my skeptic hat, because I've, I've got a pretty good skeptic hat and I'm naturally a skeptic by nature anyway. But I, I think when the skeptic comes and says, oh, yeah, you know, you're talking about God who's, who's going to protect and he's going to provide your needs. Well, what about all the people who love God in, you know, these poor countries and they end up dying of starvation? Where's right. your God then? And, you know, my response to that, and this, honestly, as a Christian, as a, as a pastor, there's times when, you know, we treat the resurrection like it's a consolation prize. <laughs> But in the mind of God, the resurrection is not a consolation prize. It's the it's the aim. It's the goal. It's to what He's calling us to. And you know, if you understand that, that no matter what comes your way, whether God delivers you or provides for you in that moment in this life, the resurrection is not a consolation prize. So if He chooses to take me, you know, today for some reason, that's not God failing me. That's God's unbelievable faithfulness to me. I was. I was listening to a, a sermon, and they were talking about an, an English missionary named Alan Gardner, and he was out on the mission field. He'd gone with a team. His whole team had died, right? Mm. Um, 
because there's you know just everything going wrong sure. on the mission field, and so he was the lone person left. And you know this this doesn't have what we would consider a happy ending where and God sent a boat and rescued him and no he died, but the last words in his journal were I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. Um, that's for the people who are walking through suffering. For the people, that's not a consolation prize. To know that no matter what comes, whether or not God delivers you from that circumstance or not, you're absolutely guaranteed that God will deliver you through the circumstance. He will remain faithful to you. And so you can walk through with confidence in any of these seasons. And that allows you to have this contentment that Paul is talking about. You know, if anybody, I mean, Paul talks about how he went in his ministry. He was constantly in danger everywhere he went. He was getting beaten, whipped, imprisoned, stoned, you know, hit with rods, shipwrecked again and again and again. And so you, you have a, you have this guy who's absolutely <laughs> at death's door sure. all the time. And what's his response? Well, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. You know, what are you going to throw at him, you know, that's going to make him not content? Well, you and know? he also went on to say that the sufferings, the he called them, <laughs> that list of things you just described, including one of my favorite phrases, Paul said, five times I received 40 lashes minus one, <laughs> meaning 39 <laughs> lashes, five times he was scourged, uh, among other things. And then he said, I've. I, I know that these light and momentary afflictions are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Um, that is some tremendous perspective. You know, I, there's times when I think that, that people misunderstand the goal of evangelism. The goal of evangelism isn't for us to find people to believe the gospel so that we can increase our numbers and make it, make a lot of people you know, join us in church on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. That's not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is to have people who join us in the resurrection. The goal mm-hmm. of the gospel is that when in that day of the Lord, when we move from this life to the next, when the new heavens, when the heavens and the earth pass away and we're standing in the new heavens and the new earth is to look around and see people with us to see the, that's our goal. Our goal is to have them join us in the resurrection. And that's where the, that's what we want with the gospel. Honestly, that's the goal. That was Paul's goal. I mean, we read it last week. Paul said that if by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection isn't the consolation prize. It's the prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the meantime, what the gospel also does by being empowered by the Holy Spirit is it makes you catch a glimpse of what heaven is. And what is heaven? I mean, it's it's Jesus. He's the prize, right? His character, his nature, his kindness, his mercy, all the fruit of the, the Spirit mm. it creates in us this desire to want to bring heaven down. We want to give our neighbors a taste of what heaven will be like, not because we're you know, on a mission purely to make this world a better place. I mean, that's, that's definitely part of it. But we don't do things in the absence of the knowledge that we're ultimately trying to rescue brothers and sisters to take them home to the Father. And so the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of achievements and the pursuit of renown and of, and of, of you know, fabulous job that you did at work, I'm the employee of the century, uh, will lead to vanity. But a pursuit of Christ will lead to contentment, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Um, the pursuit of Christ will lead to contentment. Yeah. I'd say one of the things that, that would be a good just to recommend to recommend for people to read is, is C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and just how to balance that. Like God doesn't say, okay, you know, there's that, that expression that says, you know, you people are so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I've heard it. Yep. <laughs> but the reality is, and C.S. Lewis said something like this, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. Mm. Um, you know, it'll all be taken away from you. You'll end up empty handed. Mm. You know, the idea is we want to focus on the beautiful that cannot be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, he says, you'll find that precisely the, the people who did the most for this present world were most concerned about the next. And it's absolutely true. You go through history and you find the people who, who led movements to bring people out of bondage, to bring people to something beautiful. And you'll find that those were the people who were absolutely had their minds fixed on Christ and on the world to come. Those were the people who did the most to help this world here and now. Another one of those refrigerator magnet verses that uh, we've read, and I think we actually just read this passage last week, but you know, Paul, when he's writing on writing in Philippians chapter three, he says that, uh, you know, brethren, I, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, the upward call of God, it tells us what the prize is, you know, that upward call is that call of God to heaven. And I think that that's a perspective that, uh, can provide us with a contentment that, and it doesn't mean that you can't have a good time at the backyard barbecue. It doesn't mean you can't laugh at Sam's jokes. It doesn't mean that you can't have a glass of beer if that's what you like. All of those things are fine. Yeah. You, you should have the best time at the backyard barbecue. Yeah. Because ultimately you're pressing on for that prize that is that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, we'll let that stand as our last word on the subject of the pursuit of pleasure and achievement and the and then the pursuit of Jesus and finding contentment. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that you found it to be profitable. We do invite you to follow along with the series of messages, All Things New, at Rio Vista Community Church. That is that this series of podcasts is actually tracking along with. You can get those messages the same place that you can find other episodes of our podcast. You can find those on our website at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O vistachurch.com. Or you can find it in our smartphone app. Just go to your app store and search for Rio Vista Church. You'll find us there. You can also find Out of Water on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, and on Spotify. We do hope that you'll recommend it to your friends so that they can find Out of Water too. We'll be back next week with another episode in All Things New, and we'll see you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.